Hello, and welcome to the Tao Te Ching for Everyday Living. I'm your host, Dan Casas-Murray. This podcast is for the Tao curious, those looking for a random bit of wisdom once in a while, or for those who want to dive into this wonderful teaching. I've been studying the Tao Te Ching for just short of a year now, and have reconnected with a natural feeling of inner peace and contentment. I don't hold a doctorate, nor am I qualified to teach anything about the Tao Te Ching. I'm just an ordinary person who has experienced the wonderful side effects of following the Tao. Since everyone's experience with this wisdom is different, the only thing that I can hope for is that mine helps you to connect with a Tao in your own unique, personal way. Feel free to listen to each episode a day at a time, or anytime you need a quick Tao shot. You can listen while you're on your way to work, or after that, when you're winding down. It's always a good time to observe the Tao. In each episode, we'll do four things. One, we'll read a verse of the Tao Te Ching. Two, I'll break it down into everyday language. Three, I'll share my own thoughts and experience. And four, I'll leave you with a couple of the many ways you can put the Tao into practice for yourself. That's pretty much how I've been practicing the Tao every day. By listening to Lao Tzu, reflecting on his words of wisdom, listening to other comments, and trying to practice them in everyday life. Thanks for joining me today and enjoy this episode of the Tao Te Ching for Everyday Living. Verse 37, doing nothing. The Tao never does, yet through it, everything is done. If leaders could keep the Tao, the world would of its own accord be reformed. When reformed and rising to action, let it be restrained by the nameless, pristine simplicity. The nameless, pristine simplicity is stripped of desire for contention. By stripping of desire, quiescence is achieved, and the world arrives at peace of its own accord. That's verse 37 of the Tao Te Ching, translated by Lin Yutang. Next, let's break it down. This verse has two parts to it, and we'll take each part one idea at a time. Part one talks about doing nothing, and part two talks about doing nothing by stripping desire. Okay, so... In part one, we're talking about doing nothing. The Tao never does, yet through it, everything is done. This is one of the core concepts of the Tao Te Ching, and it's just, for me, it's beautiful. There's usually some discussion (laughs) around what doing nothing actually means. And sometimes it means literally doing nothing. And other times it means at least this is my interpretation of it. It means abstaining from inserting my self-will into immovable things. And so there's some different implications there. Um, You know, doing nothing looks different in different situations as we'll kind of see later. 
So it's not an absolute concept that I think Lao Tzu is trying to address here. I, th- I think it's this idea of knowing when I'm trying too hard, kind of, right? Okay, now the second part talks about stripping desire. And so we also run into a little bit of uh, contention here <laughs> sometimes, um, and that is, aren't ambitions like healthy for human beings? Like, don't we need goals and stuff? And I like to say that, yes, we do need goals. We are hardwired for action. We are hardwired to accomplish stuff, to do stuff, to just be in motion. And the funny thing is, so is the Tao. The Tao is always in motion. So what's this whole get rid of desire thing? Well, I think it is mostly selfish desire. <laughs> uh, like, it's it's not a desire to see a better place for the world that we're talking about. It's the desire to have so-and-so act a certain way so I'm not embarrassed. <laughs> or it's the desire to come across as a certain way to people in my professional community. You know, that kind of thing. So I think that stripping des- stripping desire is basically trying to look at those things that, that we want that are self-motivated or motivated by our ego selves, right? And just trying our best to leave those alone, set them aside, allow the Tao to enter into us and work there. Now, before we move on, I wanted to kind of point out a couple of things in this verse that seemed a little, I don't know, not immediately intuitive. And when we read it, we said that the Tao never does, yet through it, everything is done. If leaders could keep the Tao, the world would, of its own accord, be reformed. Now, the next line was a bit of a puzzler to me. It said, when reformed and rising to action, let it be restrained by the nameless, pristine simplicity. After doing some research, I realized that when Lao Tzu says, when reformed and rising to action, that thing to which he is referring is the world in its own accord. Um, so basically, I think what he's saying is, hey, you know, do the Tao, let leaders do the Tao, let everybody, you know, fall back into, into Tao. But as it so happens, people fall out of Tao. <laughs> I mean, I can personally relate to that, right? I don't know any of us that can't. (laughs) Like, yeah, we do the right thing for a moment, and then the next moment, oh, there it is. Hi. I miss you. I miss doing the right thing. Um, So that's what that line talks about. And there was just one other one. Um, We go on into the second part. It says the nameless, pristine simplicity that's the Tao that we're talking about, is stripped of desire for contention, which we've seen that before. By stripping of desire, quiescence is achieved, and the world arrives at peace of its own accord. So the quiescence is basically stillness, peace. I, you know, had to look at that. I had to look up that word, and I thought that maybe it would be helpful if I shared what I learned about it. So... That's it for this first breakdown. Let's go ahead and wrap it up. To summarize, let's remember that verse 37 has two parts to it. Part one talks about doing nothing, and part two talks about stripping desire. <laughs>
So let's put that back together. I'll read verse 37 again. The Tao never does, yet through it, everything is done. If leaders could keep the Tao, the world would of its own accord be reformed. When reformed and rising to action, let it be restrained by the nameless, pristine simplicity. The nameless, pristine simplicity is stripped of desire for contention. By stripping of desire, quiescence is achieved, and the world arrives at peace of its own accord. Now let's take a look at some of the things that this verse made me think about today when considering doing nothing. There are two things. One is doing nothing. (laughs) And number two is that freeing ourselves of desire allows the rest to flow. Doing nothing. The doubt does nothing and yet everything gets done. So opens verse 37, reflective of one of the core principles of the Tao Te Ching, called Wu Wei in Chinese. It's the concept of non-action that we've heard about in passing, and the theme of Wu Wei can be found laced throughout many things in Chinese culture, not just the Tao Te Ching. It seems to be a key attribute in the wise, that whole sit still and let the world come to you thing. One of the things that comes up for a lot of folks, myself included, is this question. If I do nothing, how will anything get done? Doesn't this just give me license to sit around and be lazy? Well, my answer to this would be, at first, 1,000 times no. (laughs) Doing nothing doesn't literally mean doing nothing. But my answer, after thinking about this for a moment might be something like, well, if that is what is the best for you now, then yes, do nothing. Be lazy. Remember, however, that literally doing nothing allows the things that are already in motion to come to you. So in sitting around and being lazy, things like bills, isolation, problems that just sort of pop up, they come to you too. So perhaps that's not a totally desirable state. On the other hand, perhaps your higher self is trying to teach you things about yourself and the problems are prerequisites. (laughs) In that case, I would say, yeah, allow yourself to fall into laziness. Let's expand on this a little bit. What would literally doing nothing look like in home at work or with friends? Well, at home at might look like not talking about an issue with my loved ones and allowing it to fester. Resentments, in my experience, have a way of getting worse, never better, and lead to big messes that need to be untangled as methodically as they were put into place. Sometimes, therapists are needed to help with this work. At work, literally doing nothing, might look like assuming that since the boss hasn't said anything about my performance, it must be fine. Only when the promotion opportunities arrive, I don't get one because I haven't even indicated that I'm interested. Now with friends, doing nothing may mean missed opportunities to connect and feel loved by others. As a high school student, I stood on the sidelines a lot and wondered why I was so sad and lonely. 
For me, doing nothing is more of an attitude of acceptance and allowance. There are, for sure, certain times when doing nothing is the preferred course of action. When I find myself in the middle of chaos, for example, getting involved seems to cause me more agitation than just sitting in the middle and observing it all. We've heard about the idea of non-action before. So I suppose I can look at non-action as primarily the abstention from inserting my self-will into things, situations, and my relationships with others. Of course, when applied, this can take many different forms. So now let's look at what doing nothing in this context can look like in our everyday lives at home, at work, and with friends again. At home, instead of avoiding an issue, doing nothing might look like momentarily setting aside my emotions so that I might take a look at what the other person is actually telling me. (laughs) Caught before it turns into a resentment, I can set aside my defensiveness, my feeling of unfairness, my feeling of not being understood, and I can address the issue before it's actually an issue. In this case, Doing nothing means allowing my initial emotional reactions to pass before I say something hurtful or ignore the issue due to my own defensiveness. At work, doing nothing might be pausing to look the boss in the eye instead of putting my head down to look like I'm busy. What could I notice if I set aside my own desire to look productive? Maybe that would actually lead to more productivity. Now with friends, doing nothing might be listening and being there while someone just needs to talk it out so that they can gain clarity on an issue. Now the thing about doing nothing is it takes practice. Of course. The thing that is supposed to require the least amount of effort needs constant practice. How very Lao Tzu and Tao of it, don't you think? (laughs) I suppose we can consider the empty vessel or the hub in the middle of the 30 spokes from verse 11 here. A vessel is designed to be filled, and, as vessels or expressions of the Tao, we are meant to be used. We are meant to interact. We are meant to do stuff. At first glance, it would seem then that the whole doing nothing thing doesn't really make sense. If I'm meant to act and move and talk... And then, as evidenced by my body and its capable functions, then yeah, I'm supposed to do stuff, aren't I? I feel like we can answer yes to this, but still, wait for it, be motivated by something other than our own self-wills. Yes, we're meant to move, because as expressions of the Tao, we too are always in motion. But what kind of movement is perhaps the better question? Let's think about Staying still for a moment. What am I doing by staying still, by abstaining from inserting my self-will into things? Well, for me, I'm holding myself empty so the Tao has something into which it can enter. So in doing nothing, I'm actually doing stuff. (laughs) Not just the immediate obvious stuff. I'm keeping myself empty so that I can receive the Tao. It's perhaps uncomfortable to stay still and wait for things to happen sometimes. I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes it feels like sitting on a really hot bench that's been in the sun for a while. Time just seems to drag on. But 
if I sit there for a while, that feeling passes and I actually have something useful. A seat on which to sit. (laughs) So why do we have to keep practicing this doing nothing thing? Well, I feel like Lao Tzu gives us a clue when he says, When reformed and rising to action, let it be restrained by the nameless, pristine simplicity. So the thing about us always being in motion is that one moment it's okay to do nothing, but the next moment happens and then we're back where we started, trying to make that choice to do nothing again. So it seems that we are hardwired for motion. That's okay, since if we're hardwired for non-motion, it would be a little more difficult to accept the ever-changing Tao, wouldn't it? But the fact that we're hardwired for it means that we've got this always-on temptation to act with our self-wills, because what else? (laughs) If we can wait for a moment, and I don't think it needs to be a moment that takes an eternity to pass, or seems like an eternity, then we stop inserting our self-wills into things long enough for the Tao to enter and bring us all its gifts. So yes, doing nothing takes practice. (laughs) And of course, once doing nothing is, quote, achieved, it's not over, because we still have the next moment with which to contend. Therefore, it is a constant practice. So, we had a quick look at what doing nothing doesn't mean, then we examined what it does mean. Finally, we thought a little bit about why doing nothing takes practice. It's all well and good to say, quote, do nothing or leave your ego at the door. But how do we actually do that? Well, we could take a look at our desires and that's what we'll do in the next section. Freeing ourselves of desires allows the rest to follow. I was watching this YouTube video of how a tree works because I keep a few bonsais. I learned that water comes in from the roots, moves up the trunk, and passes through little holes in the leaves. It becomes a part of the larger water cycle as it moves into the air, goes to a new location, precipitates, and starts a new journey for another organism, which will use it and pass it on. The video was cool because it zoomed in on the tree almost at the cellular level. I saw roots, I saw cells in the roots, I saw the bark, the inside bark, little water channels, sap, different kinds of cells, parts of the leaves, everything. I saw different cells doing different things and for a moment there, there wasn't a tree. There was just this amalgamation of stuff doing what it was designed to do. And when the video zoomed out, it just happened to look like what humans have labeled a tree. (laughs) For some reason, it made me think of fractals again. The cells in the bark and all the different parts of that tree are just doing what they're supposed to do. They're in harmony and working together, they make up a tree. But how much different are we? I would argue not too much. We too are parts of stuff. There are admittedly way more things that are working within our bodies, which is kind of a mind blower for me. There is no Dan per se. There's just this collection of cells that does stuff. So let's pull back a bit and look at humanity then. It's made up of individuals doing their things, isn't it? We're all seemingly separate, yet when we put it all together, we can see this larger body that has a different purpose. Now, let's ask... 
if the trees cells decided that they weren't going to do what they were supposed to do, let's say instead of passing water along, one cell was all, nah, man, I'm good today. I don't think I'll pass water along because I just don't feel like it. Would the tree care? Probably not. The cell, though, might feel good that it had exerted its will for a while, but eventually it would probably get full from receiving all the water. <laughs> but the cell would say, well, we got to follow through, though, so we don't look stupid, right? I don't want to let all this water go because I already declared that I'm going to not pass the water along today. <laughs> so our cell keeps hoarding water until it bursts and maybe it dies or maybe it doesn't. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? <laughs> but, but yo, aren't we the same way on a more complex level? When we decide to exercise our, quote, free will, aren't we just being stubbornly non-functional? Don't we deliberately remove ourselves from harmony with the Tao just because we can or because ourselves tell us we want a particular thing, situation, or emotion? The second part of this verse talks about abandoning desire so that peace can be achieved. And I think we're talking about all desire that is centered in self. For example, desire for the Tao to operate how we think it should be operated, rather than allowing it to do what it's done for far longer than we've been here. Desire for so-and-so to be a certain way. Desire for a, quote, better financial position. Better than what? Desire for prestige so we can feel validated. But why? <laughs> if we can abstain from desire, we are taking non-action. Action is what causes resistance. And resistance is what causes conflict. And conflict is what causes disharmony. So I challenge you to examine how you desire things and how that desire gets in the way of harmony with others. Personally, I've looked at and discovered that I have many desires, and that's okay for now. I know that for me, it's a slow process of becoming aware of desires, looking at them, and letting them go. But each time I let one go, no matter how small it might be, I always feel relief somehow. I think on a core level, I know that I've removed the blockage from my innate connection with the Tao. I feel like that is a great stopping point today. So to wrap up my experience with this verse and considering doing nothing, I thought about two things. One was doing nothing. And the second thing is the idea of freeing ourselves of desire in order to allow the rest to flow. For the final piece of this episode, Let's consider how we can apply the principle of doing nothing in this verse today. There's two things we can do. One, we can practice doing nothing. And two, we can observe desires when they occur. So let's talk about practicing doing nothing. How does one practice doing nothing? <laughs> well, by actually doing nothing. <laughs> it's that simple. In conversations with people along my journey, the subject of simplicity comes up from time to time. As I've walked my path, I have found that each time I do something I'm supposed to do or practice something I'm supposed to practice, it gets easier to walk on it. 
It's the total opposite of what I would have thought starting out. Starting out, I thought I'd have to achieve this state or that state by working hard. On the contrary, I have found that I've arrived at each, quote, milestone of awakening by simply letting go of the way I see of the world. Doing nothing. (laughs) To lose weight, we abstain from eating as much. To stop smoking, we abstain from ingesting tobacco or other methods. To get up earlier each day, we abstain from sleeping so long. To accomplish things, we abstain from our internal resistance to not do them by letting go of that resistance. In other words, we stop procrastinating. (laughs) For me, doing nothing, even yes, practicing doing nothing, (laughs) has been what has gotten me comfortable with abstention. So... I thought I'd list a couple of ways that you can practice doing nothing, things that I have found work wonderfully for me. Of course, this is not an exhaustive list. There are many different techniques, and I would encourage you to find what fits you perfectly and what works for you. So number one is just mindful breathing, watching my breath go in and out for a period of time. Number two is observing things other than my thoughts. For instance, observing the sounds around me, sounds that are near to me, and sounds that are far away from me. Number three is observing my thoughts as if they were a bunch of monkeys swinging around in the forest of my mind. Then, allowing them to swing wildly. Number four Something called Japa Meditation. It is the simple repetition of a mantra using beads, and you can get them anywhere, even the dollar store, as one of my friends pointed out. Mantras that I use are Now, Om, Still, Peace, Listen. You know, one word kind of stuff. Number five is Sitting. Sometimes sitting on the couch for an hour with just myself. No books, no phone, no nothing. I am surprised at how around the 45-minute mark, all of a sudden I get clarity and peace of mind. And the final thing, number six, yogic meditations such as pranayama, kriya, kundalini, and tantra. I found that practicing one or more of these things, and here's the key, on a regular, consistent basis, helps me to remember that I don't always need to take action when I'm interacting with the rest of the world. It can help me remain in a place where I see desires of mine popping up, and I can abstain from acting on those desires more often. So now, let's take a moment to observe desires. Let's take a moment to see how the desire for contention arises at home, at work, and with friends. In any of these settings, I'd like to start by remembering an instance when it was important that I was right about something. (laughs) The old barometer agitation, our friend. (laughs) So at home, it might be an impression that my wife has of me that simply is inaccurate. Or an accusation that I leave the cupboards open when I'm pretty sure I didn't. 
or when we're in the same vehicle together and I'm driving and she seems to critique every time I brake, I turn, I change lanes, whatever. It's in those moments that I can feel an immediate reaction within me. It starts with a shock, then a realization that she's got it all wrong, and then me formulating a strategy to prove she's wrong. And this could be a verbal strategy where I'm talking to her, or a mental strategy where I'm telling myself that she's wrong. I think we can summarize this with the word defensiveness. So I pretty much can't do anything about the shock, but I can work to intervene in my thoughts before I realize she's got it all wrong. Instead of intending to prove that I'm correct, I have the option of considering her point of view first and thinking that perhaps I really am a certain way from an external perspective or that perhaps I do leave the cupboards open or that she's used to driving her way and it's only her trying to adjust to my driving style. I'm pausing before I react. I'm doing nothing in this case. At least that's how I like to think about it. So what about work? Maybe I've read an email from management that makes me want to respond immediately because they've got the wrong impression of me, or they're going to get the wrong impression if I don't send something right away. (laughs) Doing nothing in this case looks like pausing, asking the DAO for guidance, if I have that communication channel set up through my practice, and then waiting for an inspiration that helps me craft the appropriate response. Sometimes it is literally doing nothing, especially if I'm on the CC line. And how about with friends? I think we can all relate to getting texts, phone calls, or seeing posts online that are really tempting to respond to right away. Sometimes I ask myself, what would this look like if I just let it go? Often, I see others responding and creating agitation for themselves, and especially when I've been tempted to do it but don't, I get a certain feeling of relief from not having participated. Let's go ahead and wrap it up today. This idea of doing nothing sometimes means actually doing nothing. Sometimes it means abstaining from knee-jerk reactions. Other times it means allowing others to be themselves and just observing. I found that practicing doing nothing takes many forms, but it helps a great deal because that comes with its own rewards. So to do my best to apply the principle of doing nothing in this verse, I can do a couple things. Number one, I can actually practice doing nothing. And number two, I can observe desires when they occur. To close out this episode, I'll leave you with a final reading of verse 37 of the Tao Te Ching, translated by Lin Yutang. The Tao never does, yet through it, everything is done. If leaders could keep the Tao, the world would of its own accord be reformed. When reformed and rising to action, let it be restrained by the nameless, pristine simplicity. The nameless, pristine simplicity is stripped of desire for contention. By stripping of desire, quiescence is achieved, and the world arrives at peace of its own accord. Thanks for listening to an episode of the Tao Te Ching for Everyday Living with your host, Dan Casas-Murray. 
This podcast is for the Dow curious, those looking for a random bit of wisdom once in a while, or for those who want to dive into this wonderful teaching. In each episode, we do four things. One, we read a verse of the Tao Te Ching. Two, we break it down into everyday language. Three, we discuss my own thoughts and experience with the Tao. And four, we look at a couple of the many ways you can put the Tao into practice for yourself. That's pretty much how I've been practicing the Tao every day. By listening to Lao Tzu, reflecting on his words of wisdom, listening to other comments, and trying to practice them in everyday life. I'm pretty sure that as I learn about and experience more of the Tao, all my thoughts and lessons will change. I wish the same for you as you grow along your journey. If you found something meaningful in this podcast and would like to discuss it with others, I'd like to encourage you to subscribe to the subreddit Taoism. That's reddit.com slash r slash Taoism. Also, I'd invite you to share this podcast with friends if you think it would benefit them. As always, I wish you love, compassion, and peace. Thanks for listening.